are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on foxsports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7000. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn, on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama 98.3 FM. Happy Monday, everybody. A new week here on On the Line, and we have a scrimmage to talk about. Lance, how are you today, my man? Doing fantastic, Noah. We are, what, 19 days away from the start of college football. I mean, honestly, we're actually, what, 12 ways, days away because of uh, week zero stuff, but we all know it starts in 19 days. Man, I'm three days away from the start of the high school football season as the Lee Scott Warriors play on Thursday night this week against the Chambers Academy Rebels. And once high school football season starts, uh, college football will be here immediately. Like, it's just blink of an eye and then bang, I'm there because the workload just ramps up, but I love it, every every minute of it. So I'm excited for high school football. Honestly, I, I may have more fun at high school ball games than I do at a college game if I was going on as a fan just because I like the pageantry of high school football, I like the purity of it. It's not overran by money. Everybody's just there to support their community and have a good time. And this is a guy that is going to learn a little bit about that in Alabama as he's doing a lot of recruiting for AuburnSports.com. We get Christian Clemente on a Monday. Yeah, a little thrown off here being here on Monday, but happy to hop on the show, talk a little bit about the scrimmage and fall camp so far, and a big day of recruiting coming on Thursday. Number to call, 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. Whatever is on your mind. If you got questions for us, we'll do our best to answer it for you with whatever information we have at our disposal. Once again, 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. Christian Clemente of AuburnSports.com with us for the entire first hour of the show. Classes got started today. I know you're entering your last year here, but this is year two for you on AuburnSports.com. You're doing a lot of recruiting. You've ramped up all the stuff that you got going on. But sobering reality... You're back at class today. What was campus like? I'm sure a lot of people out there are kind of curious with the state of where the world is at and what's going on at their favorite university. Yeah, it was a packed campus. It felt about as close to normal as you can really get. All of the students were there. Um, We had to have masks while we were inside every building, but I mean, it was a packed campus. Parking lots were full, unlike last year. Just pretty much everybody was back. I saw. um, Is it different than the spring? It was much different than the spring, actually, yes. A lot more people, and uh, Brian Harson was out on the concourse today. Caleb Jones, who works with the Plainsman and with us now at AuburnSports.com, um, he got a video of Harson handing out Chick-fil-A sandwiches and oh, taking pictures with favorite the head coach. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he didn't hand out any hats on the concourse, though. Oh, there you go. Hatgate already brought <laughs> up on, on the Monday edition of On the Line. I thought that was, that was interesting. I, I intentionally did not talk about that on Friday because I was like look this does not 
this is so ridiculous. This does not deserve my time. <laughs> yeah, it, it's good to crack a joke at it now. But That's right. You, you don't have to talk about it. I will say this, and I said this on the drive on Friday. If there's anyone out there, doesn't matter if you got one from Harson or not. You're just dissatisfied with the hat that you have. Come bring it by the studio. I'll take it. I love hats. <laughs> if it's an Auburn-related hat, I'll take it. Says the man wearing a Kentucky Wildcats hat. Today. Any hat. I was shocked by that. Any hat, man. This is this Any is hat. for this is for Joey Gatewood. This is in remembrance because who knows where he's going now. That's After true. he uh, entered the transfer portal over the weekend. Keep up with all the content the show's putting out on RadioAlabamaSports.net and on the Radio Alabama Sports Facebook page. Follow it on Twitter as well at Radio AL Sports between collegiate and high school sports content. And trust me, there's going to be a lot of it coming up with the high school football season around the corner. We've got you covered. Once again, that's RadioAlabamaSports.net. Well, let's get into talking about the scrimmage that happened on Saturday. And you were there to cover it. A lot of discourse is being made about the QB position, and rightfully so. There's some questions about what happened on Saturday. Of course, rumors about interceptions and interception totals, two, three, whatever it may have been, whatever is manifested in people's minds. But folks are hitting the panic button, as Auburn fans typically do after the first scrimmage. What do you make of the play of the quarterbacks on Saturday? Well, first off, let me just start off by saying that the defense should always be better in the first scrimmage. And this secondary is about as loaded as it gets. So it's not like you're facing an easy defense either. And now with that said, I wouldn't really hit the panic button on the quarterbacks. Bonix had, um, from what we heard, a couple of interceptions. We weren't there at the practice, but we got to speak with Harson afterwards and talking to some people close to the practice. Nix did have a couple interceptions. One was not his fault, apparently. Um, the offensive line led to those interceptions a little bit because Bo did not have a lot of time. I didn't really hear too much about TJ Finley. It didn't really sound like he was all that impressive, but Demetrius Davis was actually the standout quarterback of the scrimmage. Surprisingly, um, he was the one that kind of stole the show and brought some of the headlines, uh, after the practice that people were really kind of shocked how well he performed. And to be fair, he was going up against the third string defense, which if you look at Auburn's defense, and I'll say this, I I think they're too deep at most of their positions. Three deep, that's a stretch. That's probably where they're a little weak. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think any school is three deep necessarily besides maybe Alabama. Well, at one point Auburn was at cornerback, but now they're not after some guys left the program to look for other ventures and whatnot like Kamal Haddon and Marco Domio. But there's definitely – there's definitely a shortage of talent that far down the depth chart. Yeah, it's tough. But, hey, it, it's still very encouraging, at least to me, to see D. Davis perform that well because he was a guy who, after the sprain, there were some question marks there. His throws were apparently not the best during the sprain. We all know what he can do running the ball, but he really needed to hone in on his passing ability and improve that, and it seems like so far he has. I don't think he'll be competing for a starting spot at quarterback this year. I think that's Bo Nix's job all but confirmed, but – it's good for the future of Auburn. Yeah, and I'll say this about, you know, Nick's, Finley, and Davis. You know, Nick's, obviously, like you said, two interceptions. One was his fault. One wasn't. Some people say three. We, you and I were talking off air, regardless of whether or not it was two, three, five, ten. Auburn fans are just manifesting those extra interceptions in their mind because they are just so frustrated with, with, frustrated with the, the play at that position. TJ Finley, you know, if Nick's is running for his life, like, it, it seems like he was on Saturday. Nick's obviously is a mo- mobile quarterback. TJ Finley, not so much. So maybe the reason that we didn't hear much from him is because that he was not able to escape the pressure <laughs> that was put on him. And then as far as Davis goes, I'm excited that our third string co- uh, quarterback seems like he is growing as a freshman as he should. You know, an issue in the past, obviously, with Malzahn has been quarterback development. I'm happy to hear that Davis seems like he's not necessarily like 
showing out or anything. He's just progressing as he should as a quarterback. And I think you brought up a really good point about TJ Finley too. And this is something I've said from the get-go. I think maybe next year or two years down the line, he can be the guy for Brian Harson and Mike Bobo and that offense that they want. But right now, he's too much of a pocket-passing quarterback to be able to survive under this Auburn offensive line. I, I do not think he could survive this year as the starting quarterback. Question to you, and this is some food for thought for people out there. Who is closer to moving up the depth chart? So essentially, which quarterback battle is tighter right now? T.J. Finley with Bo Nix or Demetrius Davis with T.J. Finley? Um, I would probably say T.J. Finley with Bo Nix. But that's just because I think there would be more of a scenario where Bo Nix struggles in maybe back-to-back games or something like that, and they're willing to give T.J. a shot against, you know, an Arkansas or something like that. So I guess I would just say that. I don't know. I think it's a pretty solid one, two, three for this year, and I don't think we'll see too much movement, but that is an interesting question. Breaking down the offensive line, and Brian Harson was asked about it, and inconsistent was the word that he brought up. He had a good two-and-a-half to four-minute answer, just like he typically does, but how did you interpret Harson's comments about the offensive line? Because there were some good sprinkled in with some bad. Yeah, um, it was a little bit concerning, but also at the same time, this is something we talked about before the show. They've been doing a lot of cross-training on that offensive line. So the centers have been playing some guard. The guards have been playing some tackle. The tackle have been playing some guards. You get the point. So it's a scenario where these guys aren't fully solidified at their positions quite yet. I think they're going to start doing that soon. But because they haven't solidified that spot, it led to some inconsistencies where they might not be quite as familiar at that position and whatnot. So it's a little concerning to hear that they were that bad. You know, Brian Harson said they straight up missed blocks at times and, they struggled with a couple things and some false starts and stuff like that. But what else is new? Yeah, <laughs> you're not. Yeah, you're not wrong there. But it, it was a little concerning to hear that the offensive line. It to me, it sounded like they were a little behind where they wanted them to be. I still think they can get to that point where they want them to be, but it sounds like they're a little behind. What did you hear about Tank Bigsby and Sean Shivers? I didn't. Really, if anything, I didn't hear too much about Tank Bigsby. To be honest, I'm assuming. I mean, look, they know what they've got there. They've got a number one running back that can be a dark horse candidate for the Heisman, so there's no point in running him into the ground in a scrimmage. Um, Shivers was apparently pretty good. He had a touchdown. And then looking all the way back to the number four running back, Jordan Ingram was actually apparently very good. He looked very patient out there. I don't remember who it was, but a player in fall camp said they would compare him to a very young carry-on Johnson because he has very good vision while running, and the scrimmage at least backed that up by – showcasing that he was very patient out there no comments about jordan ingram or jarquez hunter rather at all uh nothing on jarquez hunter no interesting seems like the receivers weren't the problem no the receivers seem to have taken a step forward which is very encouraging for auburn because after the spring that was probably my biggest question mark i thought there were a lot of questions to be answered there and you know they brought in a guy that at least could theoretically be a number one with demetrius robertson who Apparently had a couple catches in the scrimmage and looked pretty good, and they've been impressed with him so far. And then some of these other guys, getting a healthy Xavion Capers back. Um, Kobe Hudson has been pretty good. Elijah Canyon has been pretty good. They really like what they have in two speedsters and Malcolm Johnson Jr. and Javarius Johnson. So Is Javarius Johnson making the impact that folks thought he might, like Cole Kublik, who had him as his in his top five breakout SEC players this year. You know, I don't know if he's going to be able to do that, but that's just because I think they have a ton of wide receivers that they really like, and no no one receiver has really stood out so far, I think. I think they've all been pretty good, and they've all taken a step forward like they needed them to, but no one has really stood out. So I don't know if 
Javarius Johnson will be able to become like that guy because he is just a slot guy, but he'll definitely make an impact this year. What would your message be to Auburn fans after this scrimmage where there's been a lot of discontent with the way that the offense has produced over the last several years? It seems like you go into this spring and once again, the offense really hasn't taken major steps forward. It's still trying to learn a new system, of course, and there's a new coaching staff, but you get into the fall on the first scrimmage, everything they hear is just bad news about the offense, it seems, or really hardly any good news. I think there was a little bit of good news sprinkled in, like Demetrius Robertson, and then, of course, there was no bad news about the running backs of the wide receivers largely. It was just about quarterback and offensive line play. What would your message be to Auburn fans after this scrimmage? I wouldn't necessarily say to expect this, but it's not going to be a high-powered offense. I think they really want to run the ball and focus on playing good defense this year. So don't expect a ton of flashy stuff on offense this year. Um, They're going to lean on Bo Nix when they need to, but they're going to spend most of the time leaning on Tank Bigsby and Sean Shivers, which I think is a smart way to go at it. So I I don't know what my exact message would be. I don't have like a motto necessarily, but just be ready for some... (laughs) I, I, I don't know if I would say that, but... Just be ready for some low scoring, just kind of old-fashioned football a little bit, running the football and passing when you need to. Yeah, I would say I would say that the scheme might change for Auburn on both sides of the football, but in terms of like the style of football that we've seen since 2013, just like the philosophy behind it, like what they want to go out there and do, I don't think that's necessarily going to change. Like you said, I think they're going to run the ball. I think they're going to be content in that, and I think they're going to try and play hard-nosed defense. So. Since 2013, since the beginning of time for Auburn, Auburn's always been the running school. Well, Malzahn's <laughs> motto was fast physical football, right? Yeah. I think we're going to see slower physical football, I guess, is what we're going to see under um, – Brian Harson. Not necessarily meaning that players are going to be slower, but a right. slower pace. Malzahn meant fast as in up tempo, and that never right. really materialized either, especially circa twenty fifteen on. It was actually, you know, rather temperate, rather slow compared to other high octane offices across college ball college football, especially the location that he's at now at UCF. Talk about what um why am I drawing a name? Josh Heupel. Talk about what Josh Heupel was doing at UCF. I mean, that guy was all, was looking for a hundred plays a game. It was definitely north of eighty most of the games that he played. So I got some questions to you about the special teams. On Friday, we wrapped up our preseason depth chart series talking about special teams rather at length. And the one thing you know about the special teams unit is who's kicking the football. It's yeah. it's obviously Anders Carlson. But the question is, who's punting the football and who is returning kicks? What do we know about special teams outside of Carlson after this first scrimmage? Or do we know nothing at all? So I don't, I don't really know the punter situation. It kind of sounds like it's still going to be Aiden Marshall and Oscar Chapman just going back and forth a little bit I don't know if they're going to decide on one or do what they did last year where they just split the duties a little bit I never really understood that but well they were almost like identical in numbers (laughs) now Aiden Marshall I think had a higher ratio of kicks downed inside the 20 yard line but that that's situational right like you you look at Oscar Chapman he can't control the fact if he had to punt more times from the 20 right from his own 20 you know Mm -hmm. so Aiden Marshall may have had more opportunities to down one inside the 20 but I think something like six of his 16 punts last year were down inside the 20 yard line which is actually a pretty good return but they actually had both the exact same net yardage per punt interesting it, it just never really made sense to me because I felt like there was no like strategy behind it they would just kind of flip a coin oh Aiden go out there and punt yeah. Oh, Oscar got there and punt. But didn't seem like there was any real strategic difference to having one guy out there. Like sometimes 
with, when it comes to field goal kicking, you have a guy who's got a steel leg, but you also have a guy that you trust a little bit more with accuracy. So it changes on the situation. Bama had that several years ago. Didn't help him at all, but, you know, it, it's it, punting. It, you don't see two punters on a football team. So I'm with you. Yeah. Uh, then looking at kick returners, um, it was Donovan Kaufman and Sean Shivers that we heard were the two main kick returners. Nehemiah Pritchett was on the backup kick returning team. And I'm drawing a blank on who the second guy was. I, I couldn't. What even about begin punts? To tell you. Are we looking at Javarius Johnson? Javarius Johnson, yes. That's about as we expected. Yeah, it. I was about to say. I feel like we just got something right. Let's go. Yeah, because I was expecting Kaufman. It was the question of whether it would be Shivers or Bigsby. I, and I'm glad that Bigsby's not out there. Taking I was going to say it, it needs to be Sean Shivers. You Tank Bigsby as good as he is as a kick returner. You cannot afford to have him out there on kick returns. You just simply cannot. Not on this team, not with this style of play, not with this scheme, not with this philosophy that they're rocking with this year. They need their best running back. And I almost think Donovan Kaufman is too valuable to be out there too because he's, at least so far, been the starting safety alongside Smoke Monday. And while they do have a lot of depth there, they really like Donovan Kaufman. So I don't know. I I don't know why risk that injury. I get he's a very good kick returner, but roll with Shivers and – find somebody else Javarius Johnson find somebody else to pair with Shivers out there what does that mean for the nickelback position because I know a lot of folks out there thought Kaufman could start at nickel and maybe Knighton over at the other safety spot so far it's actually been Knighton at the nickel um with a little bit of Nehemiah Pritchett in there as well and then you've obviously yeah and you've obviously got Ladarius Tennyson in the mix at nickel and safety so they're gonna they're gonna mix that around a little bit, but so far Kaufman seems to have really have solidified that spot starting alongside Smoke Monday. Essentially, you're gonna have three safeties on the field most of the time unless Nehemiah Pritchett slides in at that nickel spot, which may end up becoming because Nehemiah Pritchett is a is a cornerback at heart, may end up becoming like a slot corner or a CB three on a depth chart rather than an actual true nickel where they might be wanting someone closer to the line of scrimmage in that nickelback spot that is better at run stopping if they were to be in nickel whatever reason there's going to be different situations and that's a that's a position battle that I'm uh, position battle maybe that's not the right word but like a sharing of snaps that I'm interested to see how that balances out who emerges as the leading candidates to receive those snaps at those spots let's take a quick break here when we come back I want to get some recruiting tidbits you left me with some stuff on Friday that I want to dive more in with you because Thursday is a big day for Mm -hmm. Auburn football let's take a quick break Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you. Joined by Christian Clemente of AuburnSports.com with us for the entire first hour of the show. 334-321-1390 is the number to call. Text line at 334-564-1840. If you got any questions or comments for us, we want to hear from you. Talking about the scrimmage today in that first segment. We'll keep talking about the scrimmage. We'll also dive into Bratton Hartson's post-scrimmage press conference that he had. we got some audio clips from that that we've got stored up in our system to play for you later on we'll actually be tackling that at around 2 30 looking at some of what harson had to say about the defense but i want to dive into recruiting tidbits with you because you cover recruiting for auburnsports.com and thursday is a big day for auburn football it's a big day for just auburn in general um omari kelly the four-star wide receiver out of hewitt trustville will be announcing his decision uh trey donaldson who is a three-star point guard he'll be a four-star once it's all said and done four-star safety and a four-star safety I would expect him to play basketball wherever he goes, but he'll be announcing Thursday. And then Zion Cruz, who Auburn has been linked to for a little bit, will also be announcing Thursday. So That's the five-star shooting guard. Five-star shooting guard. So there's three guys that could potentially be committing to Auburn on Thursday. A little cross-sport question here for you. Biggest impact commitment there of those three guys? Like, which, which would be the biggest win? 
regardless of sport here for Auburn University to the, grab the commitment. The biggest win, I'm going to go with Trey Donaldson. I like Trey Donaldson's game a lot, and Bruce Pearl and his staff like his game quite a bit, and I trust Bruce Pearl a lot. And you know, he's a guy who hasn't been playing basketball all that long, but now that he's really focused on basketball, he's been incredible. And so you can see why BP and their staff and his staff has been so high on Trey Donaldson. So he's a little bit larger than what I'm accustomed to seeing Auburn recruiting at point guard. He's at like six foot two. And if you're talking about someone that can play safety, he's filled out. And you think about the previous point guards that Auburn has brought into the program. Think about Sharif Cooper. You think about Jared Harper for so long. Wendell Auburn's Green. traditionally, yeah, Auburn's traditionally had very small point guards, not only height, but also weight. This could be interesting from a defensive standpoint because Davion Mitchell is probably one of their larger guys that they brought in. Maybe not necessarily from a height standpoint, but if you've watched the progression of Davion Mitchell throughout his college career, the guy's filled out. The guy's putting the clamps on NBA players in the summer league right now. Uh, eh, give or take NBA players because a lot of those guys won't make an NBA roster. But still, he's putting the clamps on some dudes in yeah. the summer league. And, of course, he didn't finish at Auburn, but this is one of the bigger point guards that we've seen Auburn bring in. Do you think that's by design or they just like the kid? I think they just really like the kid. I mean, they they were really one of the first schools to target him heavily in basketball. I mean, he goes to the high school of something like Florida State High School because he's from Tallahassee, um, Florida, right where Florida State is. Florida State was the last school to offer him in basketball. They probably could have had this kid or at least had an opportunity to get him, but they slow played him a little bit, and Auburn's been on him from the get-go, so I think Auburn will be the spot that he ends up committing to on Thursday. This is David Ross-esque. Of course, that was the baseball diamond, but still, this is very David Ross-esque because isn't he from the same area? They may have played at the same high school. I don't know, but I know that he obviously had that big home run against Florida State in a regional not so long ago. Well, yeah, a long time ago. It seems like it's almost been 30 years, 25 years, something like that. But he was he had that same vibe. You know, he takes down FSU right in his own backyard. This would be a good get for Auburn on the basketball front. Other guys, Mark Kelly, seems like that would be a huge win for Auburn football that is trying to add four stars to its class rather than just three stars. Yeah, Omari Kelly, the wide receiver out of Hewitt Trustville, like you said, a four-star. I like his game quite a bit, and – it would be a pretty big win because UCF has been targeting him quite a bit. Kentucky has been targeting him, and Alabama has been targeting him. Now, I don't know if they've been pursuing him quite as much as Auburn has, but either way, I would expect him to commit to Auburn on Thursday, and that'll be a big addition to this class. And the one thing I would add on that, too, it does not impact the recruitment of Darius Clemens. They are still He is still wide receiver one on the board. Um, no matter what Omari Kelly does. Um, initially, they kind of liked bringing in two wide receivers. Now they're sold on Brendan in three, and they want Darius Clemens to be that third guy. I want to say this quickly about Trey Donaldson. You know, obviously, if you watched Auburn basketball at all last season, you would say that one of the biggest issues of the team was depth at point guard. Looking ahead, you know, Auburn's going to have Wendell Green. Zepp Jasper's heading into his senior year, but he's got an extra year of eligibility right after that, so they'll have Jasper on mm -hmm. the roster as well. And then Donaldson on the bench. Does he make a push at all, do you think, with uh, Green and Jasper heading into their second year with Auburn? You know, what I think they could do, I didn't really even think about this until now, is Zepp could move over to the two because right. he is kind of a combo guard. He can play the point, and that's where he'll be this year, but he could move move over to the two and play alongside KD Johnson there and then have uh, Wendell Green and Trey Donaldson at the one next year. That would probably be my most likely scenario for that uh, lineup situation. And Jasper's like, what, 5'10", 5 5'11"? Uh, Jasper's a little taller than that. I want to say he's like 6'1", maybe. I just find it really funny. If uh, if Trey Donaldson's 6'2", 
And yeah, Zap, Jasper's at 6'1". It's going to be funny just to see the size difference. Because I feel like Zasp, Jasper, when you look at him, at least whenever I've watched him, seems like a little bit smaller than your typical shooting guard, at least. It's going to be funny to see a point guard that's taller and then have your shooting guard uh, be the smallest guy on the court. But th- there's nothing wrong with that. I, I just I just find that fascinating. No, it is definitely a little interesting. That's just kind of how BP's system works, though. I mean, he's okay if his three is... 6-3 he's okay with that and then as far as Amari Kelly goes obviously he's coming to Auburn to play receiver could he be somebody that we also we talk, we're talking about special teams could he be somebody that we see potentially return kicks or punts for Auburn is he that versatile or is he just a straight line receiver uh, I would probably put him more so just a receiver I don't know how good his top end speed is I haven't gotten to watch a ton of his film but I know he's a very physical receiver so possession guy yeah I like him a lot on the outside Taking a look at the other recruit that you mentioned that we really haven't talked about a whole lot here, the five-star, of course. We, we've been talking about the three-star guard, about to be a four-star, at least in your projection. And then you talk about the four-star wide receiver with football. You got a five-star shooting guard that you think is coming to Auburn on Thursday. What does this What does this staff feel about Zion Cruz? Also, are there other five-stars out there that could be hot on Auburn right now in basketball? Yeah, so the one thing I would say about Zion Cruz is if uh, if Auburn wants him, they will get him. I, I'm not sold that Auburn necessarily wants him at the moment and that he is a take. They're still kind of feeling things out there a little bit, so I'm not entirely sure about that. I know the top priority is Jarris Walker, the power forward out of IMG Academy. They really, really, really like him. They kind of want him to be that Jabari Smith replacement. I mean, the dude is built like Zion Williamson. That's right. He is a massive human being, but he's cut. It's not like he's a fat power forward. He's cut. And he's very athletic, and they really like him. So he's kind of their top target as of now once they get Trey Donaldson on board and potentially Zion Cruz on Thursday. Tell everybody about Zion Cruz's game. What is it about him that this coaching staff may like, and what is it about this coaching staff that then may be a little hesitant? Yeah, so he's a very, very good scorer, um, pure shooter, pretty, pretty decently sized, I want to say, for a shooting guard. I can't remember his exact measurements, but – they like that. Six five. Six five. Okay. I, I, I thought he NBA, was six that's four. A little six five. But. But yeah. Um, so they like his scoring a lot, but the defense has been a little bit of a concern with Zion Cruz. So that's something that they've kind of been trying to monitor and see how he plays in some of these summer tournaments and stuff like that. Well, let's go back to traffic light of recruiting here. Of course, basketball is green light. We don't even have to. We don't even have to talk about that. Football, though, traffic light of recruiting. I'm still yellow at the moment. Auburn still last in the SEC. I'm sure. I haven't checked it because there hasn't been any other commitments since. So where are we at? Are we still we're, we're still yellow for you as well? I'm still yellow. I don't think Omari Kelly really moves the needle. Trey Donaldson is a basketball guy who will hope to play football down the road, so I count him as basketball for now. If they can win a Darius Clemens battle and a Curtis Perry battle down the road, I think maybe they would be like a light yellow, like headed towards green for me. But I don't know if this staff will ever get to green light for this recruiting class for me. Where is Auburn at with Curtis Perry and Clemens? Clemens uh, Clemens will be, I've been able to confirm, he'll be returning for the Akron game. So that's some pretty big momentum, I think, for Auburn there. You know, it's really tough to call a leader there. Those three schools, Oregon, Penn State, and Auburn, are really kind of locked in. Three-team race, no Do you think he'll be at so the far. Penn State game? He, he has said he won't be at the Penn State um, game. Um, he's really focused on his season. I... As a gut feeling, I have Auburn at number one. Purely as a gut feeling. I don't really have too much to back that up, but I like the way his recruitment is trending towards Auburn right now. And as for Curtis Perry, 
that's an Auburn, Ohio State, Alabama kind of battle. Auburn's squarely in the mix there, though. I think they have a really good chance. He just transferred schools, actually, heading into his senior season. So he will no longer be at Park Crossing. Oh, but I was excited to see him play Auburn High School. Yeah, I was actually I was going to plan to go to that game once you brought that up to me. But it's this Friday night. Just reminding everybody, catch the action out on wings ninety four three. But I, I like Auburn's chances there as well. So I, I don't know if I would necessarily name Auburn the leader with either of those guys. But do you I know like where their, Perry's playing at? Pike Road is that ah, the name of it? Yes. Okay. That is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He's playing there now. That's a good team. It's a good team to go play on. It'll probably be a playoff team at the end of the year. Park Crossing is in a pretty tough, pretty tough region every year, as is all of those Montgomery schools to have to go and play. Teams that are outside the city that uh, there's just a lot, there's a lot more resources that go into it when you get outside of Montgomery and Park Crossing and some of those other Montgomery schools typically have an uphill battle. So that's that's interesting. Ended up at Pike Road. Okay, when yeah. did he make that? Because I mean, we've been talking about his park crossing for a while. <laughs> it was it was like maybe a week ago. Wow. Yeah. Right before the season. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Let's take a quick break here. You're listening to on the line. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM. Christian Clemente of AuburnSports.com with us for the entire first hour of the show, getting a lot of recruiting tidbits there in that previous segment, as well as a lot of great stuff on that scrimmage from over the weekend. Christian Clemente at AuburnSports.com. Find him on Twitter at CClemente underscore. Before we go to the phone lines, give everybody a preview of what's going on at AuburnSports.com. Yeah, so we'll be covering those recruitments or, or those commitments, I should say, on Thursday and then moving forward with fall camp, have a little bit of a break so the players can start classes like I did, but we'll have some of that kind of moving forward as well. So, Well, let's head to the phone lines now, 334-321-1390, text line at 334-564-1840. Spectre on the line with us. Spectre, happy Monday. How you doing? Happy Monday to you guys. Uh all right, tell all you sports fans out there, don't panic. It's only the first scrimmage. That's right. And uh, I'm telling you what, I'm going to wait till the uh, after the first two games, see how this offensive line develops. And we should know something by then, what, what kind of team we're going to have before we go to Penn State. Uh, with that being said, uh, did y'all see any improvement or any kind of change in Bo Nix, the way he delivers the ball at all during the scrimmage? Well, unfortunately, we don't get to be out there for the scrimmage. That's close to the media. But, you know, I don't know, Christian, you've got more inside information on that. So you, you tackle that. Yeah, no, from what I heard, he was at least a little bit more patient with staying in the pocket, not throwing off of his back foot quite as much. He did have to run just because of his offensive line a little bit, but – Bo did seem to be at least a little bit better with some of the fundamentals there during the scrimmage, from what we heard. Okay. Uh, well, I'm not uh, – you're talking about Davis was, like, uh, better than the three in that practice, but, of course, Davis was up against, what, number three defense? Is that what you said? He that's was, right. yeah. Yeah, well, that's not impressive at all. It's uh, just good to hear that he's doing well, though. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I mean, I mean, you talk about third-string defense. You're talking about basically people high school. That's true, and, and some walk-ons in there. Yeah, yeah. So, 
we'll see what Davis can do against the number one defense. And I don't think that we're going to get to see that. I don't. I don't think that we're going to get to see Demetrius Davis get too many reps throughout fall camp against the ones. I think this is T.J. Finley and Bo Nix all the way, and even T.J. Finley mainly got reps with the twos. Well, I, you know, I heard Finley, like you said, is a pocket quarterback, but, you know, I remember a, a quarterback that we had high hopes on, Jeremy Johnson, and he was outstanding in high school, looked good in practice and so on and so forth, but when he got up against LSU, I mean, he just folded his tent. And we've had a lot of callers call in, and I know you've probably heard the Spectre try and compare him to Cam Newton. I'm like, look, the comparison to Cam Newton just because someone's tall and and, and large, that that does not suffice because we've seen another quarterback at Auburn, and it's the guy that you just mentioned, Jeremy Johnson, who was also tall and large, but completely different play style. He wasn't a runner. He was a passer. He was a pocket passer. And I think that's what you're getting out of TJ Finley. I'm not saying he's going to be as disappointing as Jeremy Johnson was, but he's definitely that play style. Yeah, well, with that being said, uh, I know you're going to uh, probably build on the drive today. They're going to get a lot of calls about about the offensive line. But, you know, one practice, uh, I'm not looking at one practice as a as a in stone. That's what our offense is going to be like. Let's see what happens after the first two games because we should win those games handedly. We'll see what this deep Because I tell you what, if I was the coaching staff, I'd look at these first two games, not to develop my receivers or running backs or anything like that. I'd be developing my offensive line, working schemes to make them better. Because when they come up against Penn State, they better be ready to play. And I'm curious if we're even going to get to see if they can even effectively do that against those first two teams because of how poor those two teams' front sevens are. Akron was one of the worst in the country last year, not only in pass rush but also run stopping. Yeah, it's all it's all about fundamentals and execution, guys. That's true. I don't want that, to see any issues. If they can get that down, they can move the biggest of the biggest. And we'll find that out when they play Penn State week three in Beaver Stadium. So, you know, I'm with Spectre. I, I want to see them do better with uh, quarterback development, too. I want to see them throw the ball around the yard in those first two games and not really hold a whole lot back. Yes, we know what Biz uh, Tank can do, but we want to see what Nitz can do. That's right. All right. See you guys. Appreciate it, Spectre. That was Spectre on the line with us. 334-321-1390 is the number to call. If you want to join into the show, what are your thoughts? Maybe on what Spectre had to say or anything else that we've had to say. Christian, I'm going to turn to you here. Maybe what do you think Auburn will elect to do here in their first two games from a scheme perspective? Lance has given some of his thoughts on this throughout the show over the last couple of weeks. What do you think Auburn will elect to do through those first couple of games? What does the scheme look like? Uh, I don't know how much they're really going to want to show ahead of that Penn State game. I think Spectre brought up a really good point. I want to see what the offensive line can do. Look, you brought it up. It's not like they're playing two fantastic opponents, but I'm going to ring the panic bell if Akron or who is the week two opponent? Alabama State. Alabama Alabama State, State. yeah. I was mixing them up with Georgia State. If either of those two teams even have more than like two plays where they get to the quarterback, I'm going to be concerned. So. I want to see some consistency, and I just want to see them dominate those uh, those first two games. And then I really like what you brought up. You know, throw the ball a little bit, get Bo Nix involved, or maybe a Spectre, but don't just rely on Tank Bigsby those first two games. Everybody knows what he can do. Let's see what Bo can do. Let's try and get him comfortable, and let's get him in a spot where he feels really good going into that Penn State game. I want to see some of the other running backs get opportunities outside of Bigsby. Now, of course, I, I want Bigsby to get you know his carries through the first two quarters or so, and then – sideline them don't put any more 
mileage on on that tank. Do not put any more, okay? <laughs> like, I, I want him to be perfectly fine going into SEC play and then the Penn State game. Like, you, you, there's no reason to take more tread off of those tires. Give some of the other guys a chance to get into a rhythm and, and start creating some momentum for themselves. Because you saw Tank Bigsby last year, he did start really getting attention until midway through that Georgia game and it really wasn't carries I think he only finished that I, I he did not finish that game with that many carries but he was throwing the ball a whole lot and then you, you saw his coming out party in week three against Arkansas and if maybe he had been given more of an opportunity to get into a rhythm at the start of the season maybe we would have seen a little bit of a different result of those first two games they're not saying Auburn's going to be Georgia maybe they would have been able to move the ball a little bit better than they did against Georgia so I would like to see some of the other running backs get some opportunities just so that you can solidify what you got at number two here's my question going back to what you said about how they may not show a whole lot in that Akron and Alabama State game can they afford to keep things behind the curtain though right because this is a brand new offense, a brand new scheme, brand new system that these guys are having to learn. Can you really afford to keep a ton behind the curtain and not get these guys out in live game situations against other teams that do want to knock your head off rather than in practice where it's a little bit it's a little bit tempered. There's less pressure in practice. Actually give them a chance to execute it in a live game situation so they are ready to do it against Penn State. You know, I think that's a really good point. Um it's a, it's a, we won't know until we get there and nobody's really been able to say you know I don't I don't I don't know what I'd like to see Auburn do in, in that because I, I think both are right answers at the end of the day though here's my point on that if you are good enough to run your stuff I don't care about hiding it for from from everybody else in the world I, I don't think that you should hide it necessarily I mean don't give away all your secrets through the first two weeks but if you're good enough to run your stuff then execute against Akron and Alabama State and then go and execute against Penn State because you were good enough to run your stuff. It shouldn't matter if Penn State knew about it. Do it anyway. Yeah, I agree with that. I think on paper, Auburn is better than Penn State. Will they beat Penn State? I really don't know. But I do agree with the point that you just made that I think they're a little bit better and they can just kind of go up there and dominate if they really perform well. Yeah, Penn State, if you think Auburn's got issues in the trenches, Penn State's got some issues, at least in terms of offensive blocking. Line play. Yeah, yeah, offensive line play. The, on the offensive side of the ball, that's – that's a problem. That is a major issue for them. I mean, what were they giving up over like three sacks a game last year or something like that? I mean, they were in yeah, Auburn was statistically actually a much better offensive line than Penn State was last year and a much tougher conference to play a 10 game SEC schedule versus, you know, playing six or seven Big Ten games like Penn State was. And it was against the likes of teams like Maryland and other Big Ten schools <laughs> that were disappointing last year, like who Michigan they lost to, and, by the way. Yeah, and Michigan State and Rutgers, all that. I mean, that toughest team that may have played through their first six or seven might have been indiana and i don't remember did they end up playing ohio state last year I, yes they did and then they yeah. lost i think it was 38 to 25 i might be wrong on that yeah that may have been week two it may have been indiana ohio state and then after that the schedule i don't know i can't remember forgive me for not remembering the the Penn state schedule yeah. <laughs> 334-321-1390 is the number to call we got dan on the line with us dan what's up hey guys yeah you know holding all your stuff back is what the last regime did and you know what? All the good teams still stopped us. So to me, I think it's better to. I mean, if, if we're obviously teaching a lot more plays, pass plays, and everything else, I think it's it's more important to get all your receivers used to catching balls and getting hit, and and you know not being afraid if somebody's close to you or whatever, and getting your quarterback in that rhythm. I mean, I, I'd love love Bo to, you know, be twenty for. You know, 28 or something, you know, for 400 yards 
and you know run for another 250 yards or whatever. I mean, these are teams we should blow out. I, I expect Tank to probably get eight to ten carries because you know you kind of want him to get his feet wet a little bit, you know, and and you know the game should be in play. But I think you just have to go through the motions and you have to just get that confidence because it is a new offense and you, you know holding stuff back. I, I just we saw that for 10 years under Gus, and, and it never seemed to work against any good team. I agree with that. And going forward with that, this offensive scheme, all we've heard is that they want to be versatile and, and, and multiple on a week-in and week-out basis to where when teams look at film – they have to prepare for a number of different things. So Auburn could throw a ton of things onto the canvas through the first two weeks to give Penn State a lot to have to prepare for to not truly know what Auburn's going to come out there with from a game plan perspective, whereas Malzahn was holding stuff back and everybody still knew what to expect. Yeah, I mean, look, let, let every receiver get three catches, let every tight end get two catches, let the running backs get catches. Just spread it all out so much. That, that I mean, they just know they can't just try to stop the run, you know. I mean, we, we have to show that we can throw the ball, so that way they worry about it, you know. I mean, if, if they don't play on the line and try to, you know, stack the box, then I think we can run on just about anybody. Buddy. So, you know, I, I think, you know, just takes that one, just that, that type of guy. <laughs> I don't think he really, as long as the guy's blocked for a second, I mean, he's going to find some room somewhere. But, uh, you know, I, I just think, if, if the passing game is, is what your weakness is, you want to practice it as much as possible so you can do it when you need to do it. So, anyway, appreciate it, guys. Thank you, Dan. That was Dan on the line with us. 334-321-1390 is the number to call if you want to join in and you got some takes. What would you like to see Auburn do through the first two games? Is it hold some stuff back maybe for some of those good opponents coming up, or is it put it all out there on the canvas and, and let it go? I want, to, I want to make one more point about this. That's also an alternative way to disguise truly what you want to do, right? Is mm-hmm. you throw a lot out there through the first two weeks, then teams aren't able to, and, and teams do look at analytics now. Like that is a part of scouting in this day and age, and it has been for a little while. Teams build statistical reports on their opponents and what their tendency are, tendencies are, and then they build their game plan on that. If you throw a lot of different things out there where you can't notice trends statistically, then other teams are going to have a hard time coming up with a game plan and it can help disguise truly what you do best, which I do still think is run the ball. So maybe teams won't be fooled by that, but you can at least give the appearance that maybe there are some other things that folks have to be worried about. Yeah, and I really like the idea. You know, I'm kind of flip-flopping a little bit here, but I would probably agree more towards now doing a little bit more. I like the idea of getting Bonix in a really comfortable spot heading into that game. And the point that Dan brought up about the wide receivers, the one thing I did hear about them in the scrimmage was while they looked better and their routes were a little bit crispier, they did still have some drop issues. So the point that Dan brought up about, you know, getting the wide receivers out there with guys close to them, trying to hit them as soon as they catch the ball, stuff like that, I think that would be good experience for those guys. I think it's fair to say that regardless of how complex Auburn wants to look throughout those first two games, talent will win out. So if you want to improve on your weakest point offensively, you should try and at least throw the ball around the yard just a little bit and not, what you said, Noah, throw a bunch of different things out there or just keep it simplistic because one way or another you are going to beat them either through the air or on the ground. But get Bonix comfortable. Get that offensive line comfortable against Two, two, in two tune-up games, you, you should be throwing the ball around just a little bit because you know your strength is in running the ball. Obviously, get Tank some carries. Get the backup some carries because going into that Penn State game, you're going to have to rely on that. 
heavily, especially in that road environment, and given Bo Nix's tendencies on the road in the past, you're going to have to run the ball. But also, if you're able to work on that passing game within those first two weeks of the season, Nix is going to be a little bit more comfortable in this new scheme. And from interpreting, sorry, didn't mean to cut you off, just real quick, from interpreting the comments about the offensive line, it didn't sound like run blocking was the issue. Seems like pass blocking was the issue. Yeah, no, I mean, run blocking has never been the issue. The one thing I was going to say, just building on what Lance said, not only get them comfortable, get them confident. Have these guys feeling Mm -hmm. like, hey, we can dom like the offensive line, hey, we can dominate. We can go and bully some other teams. We can bully Penn State's front seven. Build not only comfortability, but confidence. And I think Auburn desperately needs I, – I, I don't think it's necessarily a prerequisite to beating LSU, but I feel a lot better about the LSU game and winning in Baton Rouge if Auburn can at least get the confidence of winning in Happy Valley. Mm-hmm. Leave Happy Valley happy, and you will go into Death Valley, and you will leave alive. I'm dead serious. Now, I know that was terrible. That was terrible puns right there, but I'm just <laughs> – I'm dead serious. Like, I think that's the truth. I think Auburn desperately needs the confidence that they can go into a road environment like that and actually win. Because we haven't seen them be able to do that, at least not last year and really not two years ago. I'm thinking about 2019. Was there a significant road win in 2019 for Bo Nix? Because honestly, you look at the splits, he's bad against ranked teams and he's bad against teams on the road. That Those are the two splits for Bo Nix that are just night and day difference. I can't think of a 2019 win away Arkansas. from home other than, yeah, <laughs> other than the win in Arlington, which is not a true road environment. There were a lot of Auburn fans there, a lot of Oregon fans there, but I mean that first game of his career like i can't think of a significant road environment in 2019 well, and, uh, a&m and was, yeah yeah a&m but he went like 12 of 20 for 100 or 100 yards like even also the second half was not a shining display of offense it, it, auburn did a lot of their work in that first three quarters first two and a half quarters yeah. and the defense ended up holding on to him and auburn did only score 28 in that yeah. ball game it's not like they it's not like they're showered A&M with points and whatnot. but Yeah, Nix's final stat line, 12 of 20, 100 yards, one touchdown. Yeah, averaged five yards per completion. Not the greatest day on the road. Let's take a quick break here. When we come back, we wrap up our time here with Christian Clemente of AuburnSports.com. You're listening to On the Line. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Christian Clemente of AuburnSports.com with us on the line today. Let's take a listen to what's on TV tonight. All right, everybody, getting into it with what's on TV tonight. It's the third semifinals of American Ninja Warrior in Los Angeles at 7 on NBC. Let's see how the ninjas handle the new obstacle drop zone. Some movie selections for tonight. A Few Good Men is on AMC at 5. Everyone loves those minions. Despicable Me is on Freeform at 545. Spider-Man Homecoming is on FX at 6. And live sports, Major League Baseball on ESPN at 7 with the Oakland Athletics at the Chicago White Sox. NBA Summer League action, former Auburn Ford Isaac Okoro and the Cleveland Cavaliers play the Phoenix Suns at 5 on ESPN 2. Two more games on ESPN 2, Pistons Magic at 7. And former Auburn Ford JT Thor and the Hornets will play the Bulls to wrap up the schedule at 9. NFL preseason replay, rewatch Mac Jones and Cam Newton as their quarterback battle trended out. On the preseason play, Patriots took on the Washington football team last week. Catch that tonight at 7 on NFL Network. Also, if you like to watch poker, which late night watching poker on TV, that actually is kind of fun. I do enjoy it. 
U.S. Poker Open is on NBC Sports. There's like four episodes of it. I don't know why it's episodic, but there's four <laughs> episodes of it, 7 to 10, U.S. Poker Open on NBC Sports. And that's what's on TV tonight. Summer League action. I want your take on this. I've been extremely impressed with Auburn's players in the Summer League. Now, Sharif Cooper's got a turnover problem. Go figure. Over five turnovers a ball game, But... He's been pretty good at scoring the basketball, maybe not necessarily from beyond the arc. That hasn't totally improved. He's had a, one good game from beyond three, but he has scored. He has done what he did well at Auburn in distributing the basketball. But JT Thor is not getting talked about enough. That man is being super efficient. He is, yeah. JT Thor has looked very good. He has looked ahead of schedule, I guess I would say, for where I thought is he, he would be. going to make a roster? Yeah, he'll make the roster. He might be more of a G League guy, at least primarily this year, but... He's definitely looked a lot more polished and just a little bit more ready for that NBA game than I thought he would be so far. Lance, what do you think? More ready than more ready. I saw them, (laughs) uh, they actually put out an Instagram post that they were like, yeah, we're getting DMs about like Auburn fans saying that like y'all need to come back and stuff like that. And they're like, actually, we're just going to hold off for now over the summer. We're just going to weigh our options as if war ready may not potentially be coming back but yeah absolutely JT Thor you and I have talked about it before he's been incredibly efficient in his 17 minutes that he got at least last game would love to see him get a little bit more playing time because as he develops and as he grows getting more playing time is only just going to help him develop like we've seen Isaac Okoro and Chumo Okiki so I absolutely I think the kid deserves more playing time and I think he'll make the roster is Sharif Cooper going to make the NBA roster for the Atlanta Hawks you know, as much as this might sound crazy to say after what has been one of the top summer league performances out of anybody there, I don't think so. Because I can't remember who it was, but they signed a backup point guard already. And they've got Trey Young, obviously. Lou Williams is back. Lou Williams is back. So I think it would make more sense for Sharif Cooper and his development to just stick in the G League, be the starting G League point guard, and develop his game and his shot just a little bit more. And then maybe a year from now, he can be that backup point guard. Let's take a quick break here. Hour number two will be coming up. Ed, stay there. We'll be right back, and we'll take your call at the top of hour number two. You are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 106.7 or online on FoxSports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7500. Hour number two of On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 1067 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. 334-321-1390-334-564-1840 is the text line. We want to hear from you. Solid first hour there from Christian Clemente of AuburnSports.com. That's where you can check out all of his great content. Follow ESPN 106.7 on Facebook and Twitter to keep up with the latest going on at the station. The Max Roundtable on the line. The Drive with Bill Cameron. Analysis, news, and more. Seven hours of local sports talk radio. That's all on ESPN 106.7. Find the website on ESPNAU.com. Headed to the phone lines now, 334-321-1390. Ed, we appreciate you waiting patiently. It's good to hear from you. What's on your mind? Hey, guys. Hey, I appreciate you taking my call. 
listen, I'm, I'm just going to say uh, kind of the obvious. Uh, as far as the bad thing, the bad first and then the good, Auburn has, you know, we we are not stacked with the talent that Georgia, Florida, especially not Bama, you know, in LSU, Texas A&M, this year we're not. Uh, and I think we all know from what we've heard from the players just talking about how much stronger they've gotten and how much they've learned about playing football that they weren't especially well coached last year. On to the good thing, I said this last year about Gus. I didn't care about how many wins. Are we making progress? And we weren't. The last several years, we were not making progress. And I think right now we are making progress. And, you know, I'm not concerned about how many wins we get, per se. I'm not at all. Well, of course, I won't, you know, I won't several. But uh, I think seven or eight, you know, is doable. But if we get out there and play and do well, and and we all know with recruiting now, you pretty much need your foot in the door. When a kid's, you know, almost like his sophomore year, you know, so we're not going to have the best recruiting year this year again. But that's okay too. Uh, we, I, I think, what Arson's doing is is moving us in the right direction. And if in four years, that if if it doesn't work out, I'll bet you we're in better shape. And you know, as far as recruits and in you know just better shape physical shape you know i'm looking for how they play not how many wins but guys i appreciate y'all taking my call and y'all have a great day war eagle you too ed thanks for calling in the number to call 334-321-1390 i think he makes a lot of great points there specifically about wanting to see improvement in how wins and losses may not necessarily be the only way to gauge whether or not that they have made improvement because i think back to Pat Dye in his first season still went five and six but everybody said that Pat Dye's first five and six was a much better five and six than Doug Barfield's the year before that and I think about Tommy Tuberville's first year it was an improvement based off of what you had seen the previous year even if it was still a losing record right every first year head coach for Auburn since Pat Dye you've seen improvement going to the next year terry bowden won his first 2021 ball games or whatever it was malzahn took a team from three and nine to 11 and two or whatever it was or, or 12 and two yeah it went to the national championship and tommy toverville improved them and and pat die improved him gene chiswick went from five and seven to eight and five and then a national championship so i think ed is making a lot of great points here in that wins and losses may not be the only indicator for whether or not a team is improved, are they competitive? As I think at the heart of what Ed's getting at there. Said it, said it a million times on this show before. What was Harson speaking about the most during his first press conference with Auburn back in December? Being more competitive in every single game that they play, regardless if they win or if they lose. He wants Auburn to leave that game knowing that they went out there and they competed. And at least they were close. What I interpret that to be is we're not losing to Alabama 42-17. to We're out there competing. We're out there giving our all. And we are out there performing at their level. 
and I completely agree with you, and I agree with Ed. Wins and losses may not be the determining factor in how successful Auburn fans view this season. Obviously, everybody wants to go out there and win, but I think Auburn fans will be very happy to see it if Auburn is keeping it close with some of these better teams in the conference and then maybe upsetting one or two this season. Number to call, 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. That's how you can reach out to our show here today. Find us on Twitter at Point Gardner at Daw Pound. And then also find our stations on Twitter at ESPN1067 at Fox Sports 983. And also find the website, foxsports983.com. Brian Harson, and I'm trying to interpret his press conference, but... I didn't take as many negatives from what he had to say about the scrimmage and what we heard about the scrimmage as maybe other people have out there. And I know there's going to be a loud vocal group that's discontent and the people that are happy aren't going to be as vocal, of course. But I didn't take as many negatives as most people did. Yeah, I, I didn't I didn't really either, honestly. I, th- I feel like there were a lot of positive things to take away, specifically, obviously, from the defense because they were the side of the ball that played the played the best. But... I think also something interesting to look at, Zion Puckett was the starting safety opposite of Smoke Monday, right? That's what well, we've heard. That's incredibly impressive for a guy that we thought was just kind of buried on the depth chart for Auburn. If he has just worked his tail off and gotten to that position at Auburn, shout out to him, man. Like That's really, really impressive to know that Auburn has that depth at that spot, and they've got somebody like Puckett, who we thought was going to be third or fourth string, He's got the talent to step in at that spot and play. Well, I want to add to this. I think Brian Harson has got the right attitude, the right mentality. He wants the most and the best out of his team every time they step out there on the field. And coaches, when they say, oh, yeah, well, we're not where we want to be at right now, I hope my coach never says we're where we want to be at right now until they have brought home the national championship trophy. I don't want to hear at all across the entire season my coach say, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy where we're at right now. I mean, I mean, you know, maybe some variation of that. Like, I'm happy with the way the team's performing. I'm happy with their effort and work ethic and whatnot. But I, I think every coach and every team should always be striving for improvement each and every week. And I want to hear some variation of that each and every week because there's always something to improve on. There's always a way to better your best. There's always a way to take a step forward. And right now in the spring or or not the spring excuse me right now in the fall I don't know why I'm still stuck on four or five months ago but you know right now in the fall camp duh your team's not going to be where where you're at I encourage you if you haven't gone and seen what Nick Saban had to say about his team and their first scrimmage on Saturday Nick Saban wasn't saying you know we're going to win the national championship we're great we're in a great spot we have nowhere to improve you know like everything's perfect after the the scrimmage so the way I took it and the way I interpreted it is hey they did some good things out there because he didn't just like rail on them in the press conference. I mean, if you go back and watch Brian Harson, what he had to say, he didn't just sit there and rail on the team and say that they did all these negative things. He also included positive things that they did. It was a nice mix, a nice balance. So I think, yes, there were negatives, namely the offensive line is the thing that sticks out in everybody's brains, maybe a little bit of the quarterback play. But the way I interpret it is, hey, defense looked great. They should look great in the first scrimmage. They looked they apparently look dominant, and that's an exciting thing because they need to get better based off of last year's performance. I, I'm expecting a, a big year from the defense, and if I'm expecting a big year from the defense, they better dominate in said first scrimmage. And so I took a look at the positives that he had to say. I was like, all right, there's at least good things going on right now at this point in the spring. And some of those good things are 
the receivers didn't seem to be the problem, whereas everybody thought the receivers were going to be the problem. Offensive line sounds like it did good things in run blocking. May have missed some blocks in terms of pass blocking, but why did they miss those blocks? That's the question. Christian Clemente talked about that in the first hour. Said a lot of that may have had to do with cross-training and, and moving guys around between different groups as they get more comfortable and they build more chemistry as a unit along the offensive line, that should improve. And it sounded like Bo Nix at times was running for his life, so I'm not going to read too much into the interceptions because when you look at Bo Nix as a quarterback across his time at Auburn, and sure, he had the South Carolina game, and there were a couple of egregious picks in his freshman year against Florida, but you look at the interception totals, all right? Bo Nix is not Matt Corral. Matt Corral threw more, Bo, threw more interceptions than Bo Nix did last year. There are other quarterbacks that are much more turnover happy than Bo Nix is. All right. The guy protects the football pretty darn well. And if you take that three interception game against South Carolina out of the equation last year, he's averaging far less than an interception per game. I think he protects the football pretty well. It's the ability to actually impact a game and score touchdowns and make consistent tight window throws and make consistent quick decisions and being able to elevate the team through the passing game, that's where I've had my issue with him. It's not been turning the football over. It's been actually being able to elevate this team from a passing standpoint. I don't know if he's gotten to that point, but I'm not concerned about interceptions after one scrimmage where a defense is going to know what the offense is doing on the other side of the ball. I want to say this about Knicks and about the offensive line. I completely agree with you. Even Harson himself acknowledged that he's extremely critical of that unit, the offensive line, and that he's going to be hard on them regardless of whether or not they perform. Needs so, to be. Exactly. Like you said, he needs to be. And then also something else that you mentioned, I think this is a really good point that not I don't think a lot of fans are thinking about, the cross training. They're still trying to find their best five guys. They've got a couple of guys right now that are not 100%, and they're trying to get them back to the level that they want them to. But until that point, they're still trying to find those five guys that will start for them and to play and that will play the majority of the minutes. They're still shuffling pieces around so the offensive line obviously is not going to look perfect after your first scrimmage I think you give it time Auburn will get better and then like it's something that you said that I really really like Harson should never at any point say that he is satisfied with everything that's going on within this program they should always be striving to get better and I think right now like you said the positives defense was good Looks like the run blocking was fine. Sounds the like the defense was great. Not just good, but great. That secondary sounded like it was pretty darn good. Sounded like the defensive line was wreaking some havoc, right? right? Here's the thing, though. Like, if the offensive line has improved at all, right, and they are able to at least hold for a little bit longer than they did last season, another reason why maybe the, the defensive line was getting pressure outside of just being great is that the secondary was just not allowing anything to get open. At the same time, though, the receivers were not the issue. They've come along as well. So I think there are definitely some positive things to take away from this scrimmage that are that overwhelm the negative because this is just Auburn's first scrimmage. With that being said, let's take a listen to something Brian Harson had to say about the defense. They own the scrimmage. Let's hear what he had to say about that defense that played so well. We got into a red zone portion of the scrimmage, and so the ball was placed at the 25-23 uh, so it gave the offense the advantage from the field position side. And the offense scored, did some good things down there. But overall, I thought the D-line played pretty well. I thought our linebackers, um, they were hitting it downhill. And, and then there were some negative plays that the defense created. Uh, and I thought that front seven did well. Uh, secondary, some good things back there. Um, you know, a few explosive plays. But they came back. There was a couple turnovers. 
as well in the scrimmage. Um, but overall, I thought defensively, what I was looking for, really looking for just the effort on the defensive side. I want to see these guys make plays, but I want to see the effort. And then I want to see these guys, that just the, the process in between each play. Because I feel like on the defense, from an offensive standpoint, you know, they got so much that they have to communicate and adjust each and every play, formations. You know, they're really defending whatever the offense is doing. So those guys communicating, that focus, and then when the ball is snapped, really just that effort and just being relentless to the ball. And, and uh, they did a good job tonight. They created some turnovers, uh, so they went up and got them. You know, there were some balls thrown that they went up and got. And then uh, I think we had a fumble, maybe two. Uh, I don't have the stats with me, but I think we – I know we had one, maybe two fumbles they caused. And, you know, that, that to me for the defense, and when they're able to do that, they can create takeaways – opportunities like that because they're playing hard, which which is why it happened. They're just getting to the ball. Good things happen. They showed that tonight. So felt good about a lot of the plays that the defense had and, you know, creating those turnovers. Those are obviously going to be game-changing when we go play for real. But uh, overall, good. And, you know, one thing, like I told the guys, is it's never as good as you think. It's never as bad. So we'll watch the tape. Plenty of stuff to correct, and we'll see what that looks like. Uh, tomorrow when we sit down and watch the film with everyone. You know, I had a professor in college, and I went, to, I went to school for journalism. That's what my degree is in. And I had a professor in college tell me that exact same thing. It's never as bad as you think. It's never as good as you think. And that is so true. It, it, when I go back and listen to myself on air, when I go back and listen to recordings of whatever I do, whether it be play-by-play for a football game or a basketball game or a baseball game or, or it's a recording of a show that we've done and I go back and listen to the podcast, which I encourage you to go do the same thing. Listen to our podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, whatever it is. I'm always sitting there and saying, you know, if, if I'm if I'm live doing something, I think, man, I, I why did I say it like that? Or I, I, I goofed that up or that was so awkward or something like that. I tell myself, I'm like, eh, it probably wasn't as bad as I actually think it was because you're always going to make it out to think that. And then on the flip side, if I thought I was really good one day, I might go back and listen. I might think, man, I actually wasn't as good as I thought I was, right? And I think that can be said in pretty much anything that you do. And I'm glad that Brian Harson said that. I really resonated when he said that about this team because what you're going to hear through sources on a message board or sources from somebody that comes on a radio show and, and like they're, they're plugged in. Christian Clemente, he is plugged in, right? And um, I'm, I'm not dogging any, any of that information because that information out there you know, when, when they get that, I mean, they are, they're reporting it as the facts, right? You weren't there to watch it. You weren't not, not talking about them. I'm saying like the fans out there that are, that are maybe overreacting to all this. They weren't there to watch the scrimmage. So really, how can you jump to conclusions if you weren't there to watch it? And the honest thing is, and kind of going to what Brian Harson said there, it probably wasn't as bad as you think you heard. And it also probably wasn't as good as you thought you heard too. It's probably somewhere in between. And there's a lot of ways to improve. Yeah, absolutely. And again, you know, Auburn should strive to continue to improve each and every day. There should there should never come a point until they win that national title, like you said, where they're like, all right, we got everything figured out. Everything that we're doing is perfect. There are going to be flaws with this team, obviously. And I think this coaching staff is aware of that. Obviously, Harson just said he's, he's aware of it. And they're going to continue to at least attempt to get better every single day. Um, that's really all you can ask for. So on my rundown, when I was preparing for the show today, I said, Auburn's defense owned the scrimmage. Does that worry you? That was a question that I asked myself for this segment. And the answer to that question is no. If anything, it encourages me. And I think we heard enough 
and we'll continue to talk about the offense in subsequent segments and we'll, we've also got audio from that press conference and sub, subsequent segments here talking about the offense from Brian Harson talking about the quarterbacks and also talking about uh, the offensive line I think there are bits and pieces to pull out of his answers where like there are some positives there and he's going to be more critical about those two positions than any other position on this entire football team why because he's a former quarterbacks coach and he's an offensive minded guy he sits behind the offensive line he picks it apart that's what he does that's his strength right he doesn't necessarily have to go and put, and he kind of alluded this to this in the spring. He's got a former head coach on the defensive side of the ball. He's got a defensive mind on the defensive side of the ball, and a good one at that with, uh, with Derek Mason's track record as defense coordinator at Stanford. He was shutting down those great Oregon offenses from back in the day in the Pac-12, and there are some good offenses out there. Derek Mason's got a great track record with defense. If you trust the guy, why are you going to go and play in a sandbox? Let him do his thing. Let him go and, 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 and handle his business because he can. That's part of being a program manager. And I think Brian Harson really trusts what Derek Mason is doing on the defensive side of the football. He's going to key in on what's going on in the offense because that's where the issues are. That's where the improvement needs to take place. And so he is going to be critical. And so it doesn't worry me one bit. Yeah, I don't really think it worries me a ton either. I mean, obviously, I still have my concerns about this pro, or like this team offensively. I still have concerns about the offensive line. Um, at the end of the day, though, I think Auburn is trying to make improvements and that they will make improvements. And so hearing that this coaching staff understands that they need to continue to improve is, is a positive thing. Now, like Christian Clemente said in hour number one, if Akron's kicking the door down and they're chasing Bo Nicks all around the field, then Houston, we have a problem. But right now, I'm... I'm not worried about it after the first scrimmage. And I'm glad, based on Ed's call and this and this segment and then also Spectre's last hour, I'm glad we've had some callers that have measured responses to this, that they are not, that like we have not had a caller freak out yet. I'm excited about that. Like I think people are taking this the way that they should for the most part. Let's take a quick break here. When we come back, we talk about the quarterback situation. Is there a real, how tight is this quarterback battle? How tight is this competition We'll take a listen to what Coach Harson had to say about that when we come back. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central, Alabama. Number to call 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. A lot of great calls today. We've heard from Spectre, Dan, Ed. I'm enjoying it today. Keep the calls coming. 334-321-1390. Got a fun rest of hour number two here playing today. If you missed any of today's show, go and find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Of course, also follow Fox Sports Central Alabama on Facebook to keep up with the latest going on in sports. On the line, The Drive with Bill Cameron, analysis, news, and more, all on Fox Sports Central Alabama, on FoxSports983.com, and on Facebook, that's FoxSports983.com. Auburn's quarterback situation, of course, that has been the hot topic. Rumors out there bouncing around about how many interceptions Bo Nix threw during the scrimmage on Saturday. Lowest total that I think I've seen is two. And folks saying that only one of them was his fault. And once again, I go back to I'm not really bothered by that because in live game situations, Bo Nix really hasn't been that turnover prone. He had three against South Carolina last year, but what, he had like seven total picks last year in 11 games? Oh, boo-hoo, he had less than a pick a ball game, and in one of those games he had three picks. All right, take that one game out of the equation. The other 10 games he had four picks? 
okay, you you tell me if he's turnover prone or not because I've seen some pretty bad turnover prone quarterbacks in my life watching in the SEC and watching Auburn, <clears throat> Jeremy Johnson at Auburn, and then you look at some other quarterbacks around the league in recent memory, especially last year. Matt Corral threw six in one game. That's almost Bo Nix's total last year. All right, and then Kellen Mond was turnover prone for three years, threw two in that fourth quarter against Auburn back in, what, 2018 to help Auburn come back. I mean, look, I'm not, I'm not bothered by the scrimmage where the opposing defense knew all the answers to the test and Bo Nix was running for his life a few on, on, on several plays. I shouldn't just say a few. It was more than several probably and made some difficult throws. And he's trying to learn an offense that's a lot more wide open than the previous one where he's actually got to go through some progressions 12 touchdowns seven interceptions you and I talked about it on Friday show I believe saying that if Bonix had a non-conference schedule even though it included North Carolina get those three other cupcake games you take out the two games that Auburn would have would not have played last season it includes the South Carolina game his stat line would have either been almost exactly the same as it was his freshman season or maybe just slightly better and my issues with Bo Nix really isn't on the the turnovers. Right. It's more on the fact that his turnover to interception ratio is only twelve to seven. Mm-hmm. That I mean, that's not even two. It's not even two to one here. He's not elevating the offense to a level where his his passing game is a legitimate threat to put up consistent points on an every week basis. I mean, you talk about that A and M game from his freshman year, and he had a hundred yards passing and one touchdown. Right. That's not going to win you SEC championships. That's not even going to get you there. That's not even going to get you close there. You're you are outside the club on that one. All right. You are not in that category. I need a quarterback who can distribute the football around the yard and can can, can score some points. My question is, was that the scheme that didn't allow him to do that to elevate this offense from a passing standpoint, didn't give him the opportunities to make those throws, didn't give him the opportunity to put up those yards, to score those touchdowns. But on the flip side, also with that, and just me being objective here and me also providing the opposite the opposite side of the coin on this, it also could have prevented him from throwing more interceptions. And That's so true. I'm curious if this new offense too, just playing devil's advocate with myself here, I'm curious if this new offense affords him more opportunities to be turnover prone because of its nature in which this is no longer a one read. This is no longer a one read passing system. This is no longer you've got one place to look and then after that it's tuck it or throw it away. It's not that way anymore. This is about going through your progressions and getting your eyes across this entire field and finding the open man and delivering the football to him. This is no longer Malzahn's passing offense this is completely different and I'm kind of curious if maybe we do see more interceptions from Bo Nix but now my question to you is are you okay with more interceptions if it means drastically more touchdowns so a better touchdown to interception ratio but there are more picks are you are you more okay with that are you okay with like Matt Corral like throwing like a ton of touchdowns 15 picks to 30 touchdowns right but also having that occasional game where you just I'm not saying Knicks will throw five or six interceptions, but just like where it just does not go according to plan. And I am okay with that. And you know why I'm okay with that? Because I think you look at what Matt Corral did at Ole Miss last season, and and you think about why the coaches poll has him at 25. They're on the cusp of getting ranked. I think they're 26th in the AP poll that was released today. We'll get to that later. You, you, you talk about the fact that they only lost by 14 or 15 to old, uh, to Alabama and that they were you know going pound for pound with them you know shot for shot they were they were scoring with each other Matt Corral despite the fact that yes he might lose you a game 
on the year because he threw five or six interceptions and I don't think Bo Nix will get to that level Matt Corral might do that but he's also the other 10 games of the year the other 11 games of the year his ability to score and his ability to distribute the football and throw for 250 a game maybe more 300 really when you're talking about Ole Miss's offense his ability to do that gives them a chance to beat teams that maybe they shouldn't and if Ole Miss had any lick of a defense I'd be putting them a lot higher in my preseason rankings because that is one of the best offenses in the country but guess what their defense is abysmal Auburn's defense not abysmal so I'm okay with a few more interceptions this year if it means a lot more touchdowns you had an analogy for what Bo Nix has been at Auburn and what he needs to become uh you've had an analogy over the past couple of weeks explain to the audience again if they've not heard it your analogy I want him to be a truck not a trailer and I can't take credit for this Colin Coward said this on his show just a brilliant analogy in talking about quarterbacks there are some quarterbacks who are system QBs game managers their skill level their ability depends on the players around them then there are other guys the truck drivers the guys who are the ones carrying the other players the guys that are elevating their teammates play those quarterbacks are the quarterbacks like Russell Wilson in the NFL Tom Brady doesn't matter what's around them they still find ways to succeed they still find ways to score and they still find ways to win Bo Nix has to be a truck driver not a trailer and unfortunately through his first two years I think he's been a trailer not a truck so that is what I want to see him get to this season or at least take steps in that direction and unfortunately we won't really know that until week three week five when you're playing Penn State LSU Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. 30 minutes left in the Monday edition of, of the On the Line. Talking about nice. this. I know, right? <laughs> 30 minutes left. Starting off hot. That's right. Thursday edition. Monday edition. Man, you're messing me up. Monday edition of On the Line. Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. And that lovely voice that you just heard behind the controls intern Sting back for his second go-around with the crew. A wonderful intern Sting. Sting, how have you been, man? I've been great, Noah. I'm I'm really happy to be back here, though. I've loved being a part of this show since it kind of started uh, getting kicked off in January. And, I mean, I, I'm just happy to be back with the crew. Last semester of college left for you, you yep, know? sadly. So your victory lap? Yep. As many, yeah. as many students will say, they're going to take a victory lap and get one more football season in. I don't blame you. And that probably was your convictions, was that you wanted one was, more football season. It was a major season. driver in the decision, <laughs> yes. It was, it was definitely one of the top two factors. <laughs> so intern Sting back to rib me on air and to, to make fun of me off air as well. Lance Dahl and Noah Gardner here with you on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama for the Monday edition of On the Line. Talked a lot about quarterback play here in that previous segment let's take a listen to what brian harson had to say about the quarterback battle right now and the possibility of two playing in that akron game yeah well come september 4th that's i've done that before so that that's not out of uh, possibilities uh, and let's be clear um you know that's not what we're working towards right now i mean right now we're, we're developing each quarterback to go out there and play the position and be the quarterback um, I've used multiple quarterbacks for situational things um, and because guys deserve to play at that position. I've, I've coached some good players, uh, starters and backups. Uh, as far as the offense goes, again, we're, you know, we're in that uh, part of camp right now where 
it's it's a lot of the base. It's it's repeating a lot of the base, and you know the run game, uh, the protections, the pass game. It's it's really a lot of the things right now that are our base that we can build from and add on to moving forward. But um, the most important thing, not so much scheme wise, is the fundamentals of those guys in those positions. We just talked about the O line. Um, you know, and part of that is is our assignment, and part of that is making sure that you know when we know our assignment, uh, we don't miss it, and we're able to execute it, and we can we can go out there and just you know play the basic fundamentals of the game at a high level. And so we're still working through that. I I would say this: uh, the the wide receivers tonight, you know, I thought you know really made a lot of progress, and it showed up in the scrimmage. They they caught the ball well. Uh, they were able to catch and get some yards after catch. I thought they had some good plays in, in some critical moments on third downs. They went up and got it. And they've been doing that in practice. One of the things tonight that showed up, some of the, the things that we've seen in practice from that wide receiver position, going up and getting it, making some of the catches that they have in practice, that carried over into the scrimmage tonight. So there was a positive there as far as, um, you know, we talked about consistency a few days ago with that group, but there was a positive tonight about these guys making some plays, and we need to build on that. And I thought the quarterbacks made good decisions as far as getting them the ball and some of those throws. Uh, and then, like I said before, there was some turnovers created, some that we uh, probably created on the offensive side, and some that our defense, you know, were able to go out there and make. So. Uh, all the time at the quarterback position, it, it really comes down to decision making, and that's that's a huge part of what we're working through now. Just learning again; it's still you know making progress every day as far as what we're doing. Learning, all right, the the proper way to execute the offense, you know how it needs to look each and every play, every practice, and then making great decisions on the field. You know when you go out there and it's time to play, you got to make great decisions. You got to uh, make sure that you're putting your team in the best position to win and taking care of the football, making the right checks, uh, knowing what you're doing. And, and that goes back to our preparation. That goes back to the day-to-day of just having ourselves ready uh, every time we go out there on the field and, and practice so it shows up in a game. And, you know, there's uh, some really good things tonight at that position, at the quarterback position. I thought all the guys ran the ball well, did some things, threw the ball well at times, and, and there's plenty to correct. So that, that'll be the focus uh, with that position moving forward this week is, is the decision-making process. My takeaway from that is it goes back to a couple segments ago when we listened to other Brian Harson audio and I was talking about how it's never as bad as you think. It's never as good as you think either, but it's never as bad as you think. And I don't think it's as bad as people are projecting it maybe to be in their minds if they're focusing on the two interceptions from Bo Nix or not really hearing a ton from TJ Finley and saying, oh, well, D Davis had a big day at a I don't think it's as big of a deal maybe as people are projecting it out to be in their minds, but the thing that I do latch on to is the tail end of that audio clip, and he's talking about decision-making. He's talking about making your checks, so your pre-snap stuff. You're talking about actually going through the snap and, and, and the live play and being able to make your progressions and make a quick play with the ball within three seconds. Get the ball out of your hands in three seconds. Make a quick decision. And it's no shock to me that Bonix has two interceptions right out the gates in an offense that is putting a lot more responsibility on their quarterbacks than the previous system did. There's going to be more opportunities for INTs this year. But on the flip side, there's going to be more opportunities for Bonix to shine too. 
There was something that Harson also said that I thought was interesting early in that clip, talking about, you know, just the fundamentals, making sure that Auburn's got those down and then performing at a high level and just the basic fundamentals of football. And that reminded me of a coach that Harson actually coached with. Uh, Chris Peterson during his time at Washington that was said a lot about their program is that they weren't too flashy they weren't too special at any at any spot in particular they just knew the fundamentals of football both offensively and defensively and they went out there and they executed now obviously Chris Peterson and Brian Harson two completely different coaches but I really like to hear st- stuff like that because I think understanding fundamentals and performing at a high level obviously has translated to success in the past at the power five level with teams like Washington imagine what Brian Harson could do with that same concept at an SEC school with SEC caliber players I think there's definitely a lot of optimism for that and then on the flip side of that something else that's also been talked about about this coaching staff is how complex and how detail-oriented they are so while there is simplicity and fundamentals I think there's a lot of complexity in how they go about it and how they go about other things again we've talked about this before on the show a lot of people are not high on this coaching staff but I think they're hitting all the right notes in terms of at least what people want to hear I agree with that let's take a listen what he had to say about the offensive line yeah uh solid at time I think this uh you know a little inconsistent you know that's I stand back and just know my vantage point here. I stand back behind the offense, and, and I get to see the quarterback. I get to watch the O-line. I get to watch the protection in the backs. And so, you know, I kind of see every little thing, uh, and I'm pretty critical of that group. Uh, they did move the ball. We ran the ball. We ran the ball. They did come off the ball. They did strike. Um, we missed some blocks in there. We just flat out missed them. Uh, it wasn't, uh, and it was really just, you know, we, we got to communicate it. Um, so that, that, those things... You know, we have to correct a couple penalties that we had, some false starts that, you know, we need to, we'll get corrected. We need to address uh, and continue that moving forward, and they'll see that. But overall, there were some good things that they they did better in pass protection. Uh, I thought we were able to run the ball and get downhill uh, in the scrimmage, so there was some positive that way. And, you know, I just, I think for the O-line, you know, it's always about consistency. You just, you know, when you've got uh, the D line right up in your face and you've got guys trying to, to get off and penetrate, um, like we're going to see, you know, you you got to you got to be really really good up front. And you know, I think our old line is is improved. Um, now, as we move forward, it, it's got to be the consistency from those guys up front that we have got to handle our assignments. And we've got to we've got to make sure that, that we're on the right people, and then just being physical. You know, at the end of the day, just being physical. We got to we got to come off. We got to strike, and and we've got to be able to move the line of scrimmage, um, to be able to run the ball the way we want to. And, and we did that at times. We want to be more consistent up front. So we've improved, but we're not where we need to be. And our guys know that. And I think. That's the best thing about that group right now is they're, they're willing to work. Uh, I do like that about that group. And so this next week, you know, we still have time to keep improving. And I expect as we get in that second scrimmage that we'll make those corrections and we'll be better up front and we'll have that consistency that we're looking for. I mean, think about it. He said we've improved, but we're not where we want to be. I took a lot of good things from his statement there about the offensive line. Said that we moved the ball. 
ran the football well, and he really had a lot of good things there to say about running the ball. Of course, when he started talking about pass blocking, said they missed some blocks, but he still goes back to, we've improved, but we're not where we want to be right now. And when he did say they missed some blocks, he attributed it to communication. Well, hmm, why might they not be (laughs) communicating well? Hmm, maybe it's because there's been a lot of rotation on the offensive line. And I'm not saying that in a smarty way about what Brian Harson had to say. I'm saying that to folks out there that maybe are projecting out what happened on the offensive side of the ball to be danger, danger, danger. Offense going to stink this year. You know, that's, that is not what I took away from the scrimmage on Saturday. Yeah, absolutely. You hit the nail on the head right there. Uh, it's talking about the issues with this offensive line, specifically it being communication. You can't communicate with your guys well if you're being rotated out every single player. You're trying to find that match, that perfect five. You're, they're not going to be able to communicate well until they find that perfect match and they keep them out there consistently. But I think it's okay that they have – I think it's been a good thing that they've rotated them around. I want to yes. say that because you do have to find what that five is. Also – I think it's okay that they're being put in those situations because you're going to, A, learn who your guys are that are communicating with each other. And and you talk about basketball and this new group of players for Auburn basketball. They're trying to figure out who their talkers are and who aren't. And what did Bruce Pearl do during the summer in his scrimmages and in his open practices? What did he do? He put guys that didn't communicate a whole lot, he put them all on the same team, thus forcing them to have to communicate with each other when they played against the guys that were talking all the time and were chirping. The coaches do little things to try and bring that out in their players to try and force them to communicate. And another thing is, look, offensive lines all across the country, it doesn't matter what team. Alabama did it, dealt with it last year with Lander Dickerson. Talk about Auburn's offensive line. They've dealt with injuries. At some point, somebody's going to get hurt. It's the game of football. And you don't wish that upon anybody, and you really hope the whole offensive line stays healthy. But, man, there are – it, it, it would be very rare and very shocking if, if a team that went all the way, even the national champion, didn't deal with any injuries across the whole year. And you better be able to communicate with whoever's at your left and whoever's at your right on the offensive line. And so to be able to have that rotation here at this point in time in, in the fall, you don't have to have your five yet. I mean, you'd like to get there pretty soon and begin to optimize that communication and optimize that group from a chemistry standpoint to get ready for the season but through one week of fall camp I think it's a good thing that they've been moving them around because at some point somebody new is going to be on your left or somebody new is going to be on your right because somebody had somebody went down and you sure enough better be able to communicate with that guy when he comes in this is only preparing Auburn for when adversity strikes I think that yes that that last sentence there I think that is perfect that is a summing up exactly what I was going to say this is preparing Auburn down the road whenever the stuff hits the fan and they have to turn to their backups they're just preparing them for that moment so that they know how to play with these guys and they know how to communicate so that last year does not happen again let's take a quick break here when we come back we talk about the AP top 25 poll Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl here with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central, Alabama. It's hard to believe this Monday edition of the show has just flown by. And we've only got one segment left here for you. And before we get out of here, let's take a listen to what's on TV tonight. Look at what's going on tonight. It's the third semifinals of American Ninja Warrior in Los Angeles at 7 on NBC. Let's see how the ninjas handle the new obstacle drop zone. 
sounds like a roller coaster, not going to lie. Some movie selections for tonight. A Few Good Men is on AMC at 5. Everyone loves the Yellow Minions. Despicable Me is on Freeform at 545. Spider-Man Homecoming is on FX at 6. Live sports, you got Major League Baseball on ESPN at 7 with the Oakland Athletics at the Chicago White Sox. Two teams that are doing really well going into the late portion of the season. Going to be two playoff teams more than likely. NBA Summer League action. Former Auburn Ford Isaac Okoro must watch Summer League basketball when you're talking about Isaac Okoro. High-flying dunks all over the place. Cleveland Cavaliers play the Phoenix Suns at 5 on ESPN2. Two more games coming up on ESPN2 after that. Pistons Magic at 7. And then JT Thor and the Hornets play the Bulls to wrap up the schedule at 9. So some good Summer League action going from 5 to like 11 o'clock tonight so you got a lot to watch and some former Auburn players in action today with Isaac Okoro and JT Thor Shreve Cooper and the Hawks actually play today as well they're on ESPN 3 though so you'll have to if you got your TV subscription you go and find that online and watch that digitally but moving into our last segment here AP Top 25 poll was released today and Lance before I get into it before I read it away what are what's broad overarching takeaway from it well i said and i think i said it on the show there were three things that i didn't necessarily think thought were going to happen but things that i wanted to happen i wanted oklahoma to move up to number two i wanted notre dame to be dropped out of the top 10 or at least just have a lower ranking because they were and they were and then i thought that ole miss would probably not be ranked it would be the only other thing that i thought would be like the really big not necessarily big but i guess just shuffling of the rankings and sure enough Oklahoma is ranked second in the AP poll Notre Dame was dropped down a couple of spots Ole Miss not ranked um and uh, again I'm not saying that I predicted it I just wanted it to happen and I'm, I'm happy that it did here's the top 25 poll right here you look at the top five one Alabama they received 47 first place votes two Oklahoma they received six three Clemson they received six as well only 15 points in the standings there in the rankings separating those two between two and three for Ohio State they received one first place vote and five Georgia receiving three first place votes but still about 29 points or actually 29 points separating them and Ohio State between five and four six Texas A&M seven Iowa State eight Cincinnati nine Notre Dame 10 North Carolina 11 Oregon 12 Wisconsin 13 Florida 14 Miami 15 usc lsu dropped a little bit from the coaches poll they're down at 16 i think they were like 11 or something like that i think they were 13th okay that's right yeah you're correct so three spots down there outside of the top 15 17 indiana 18 iowa 19 penn state 20 washington 21 texas sunbelt love right here 22 coastal carolina 23 louisiana lafayette 24 utah 25 arizona state auburn receiving votes they sit at 30 they are four spots behind or or four votes i should say behind liberty boys we are living in a world where two sunbelt teams are ranked to start the 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 season that is wild to me that's my takeaway i look at it a the ou hype is real that has proliferated across college football the fact that they received six first place votes they were in front of clemson meet enough of the media has respect for oklahoma at two small schools are getting respect you look inside the top 10 iowa state and cincinnati both ranked higher than the coaches have them iowa state at seven cincinnati eight notre dame went down to nine to make room for both of those teams and then you also talk about coastal carolina and lafayette those two are a couple spots higher than there where they were in the coaches bowl so the media giving more respect for smaller schools than the coaches were 
Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, across the poll, it's very similar to the, the, the coaches poll. There are not a whole lot of discrepancies here. There are not a whole lot of things that I truly disagree with. Uh, I think it's a good poll. I, I, I think if there was a mix between the coaches and media poll, it would be slightly better. Because I have a few disagreements, but nothing like, oh, yeah, that team should have been in the top 20, you know. I look at it. You also talk about conferences, five SEC, five Big Ten, five Pac-12. That was interesting to see five Pac-12 schools in it tied for the most with the SEC and the Big Ten once again. But in that order, SEC had an average higher rank that was much higher than the other two. Big Ten was next up, I believe, and then it was the the Pac-12. My last takeaway here, Sunbelt football. That is the best group of five conference, or at least it could be shaping up to be the best group of five conference in college football this year, even better than the American Athletic Conference because I think Appalachian State's going to have a really good chance to get ranked. I think you know you're going to see Coastal and Lafayette probably in the in the top. You're going to see one of those two teams in the top 25 for almost the entire season. Lafayette probably will drop after they lose to Texas in Week One, and then they're going to have to pretty much run the table from that point on, which won't happen because once again they'll have to play their App State or Coastal Carolina. But you talk about the the top teams there. Where's the where's the American on this? Is there even a single American athletic team other than Cincinnati? Cincinnati. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, someone's got more than the American in the top 25. Georgia State, one of the most experienced teams in They're the entire country coming back this season. Yeah, Georgia South- Southern's not half bad. South Alabama maybe improves. South Alabama is going to a bowl game. After sitting down with J.D. and going through that schedule, I think South Alabama can make a bowl game this year. You also talk about Troy. They went 5-6 and six last year. They had a better year than South Alabama. Did Troy still going to be one of those middle-of-the-pack teams, maybe even a little bit better? The Fighting Chip Lindsay's. They they are and, and they've imp- imported some new talent into the program as well through through transfer. So I think they could be continuing to improve a little bit. The Sun Belt is a deep league, and and, and that's excluding the you know the top tier teams are there with Appalachian State, Coastal Carolina, and Louisiana Lafayette. There's there's some good schools. Terry Bowden now with ULM. I don't know. I don't think ULM is probably probably not going to be very good, but. Terry Bowden still is, you know, a renowned coach going in, and he did well to build up Akron just a little bit. It fell apart at the end, but he did get him to a bowl game at some point. My final takeaway was that, wow, Texas is fairly ranked for the first time in what feels like half a decade. Oh, at 21? Yeah. You think that, you think that too many times they're high or too many times they're low? Too many times they're high. Yeah. And they don't actually, you know, fill out that hype either. Yep. That's it for the Monday edition of On the Line. We'll be back with you tomorrow. 